This is Macro Horizons, monthly episode 22, 2021 Outlook, Lower, Narrower, Safer, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Margaret Karens, here with Ian Linging, Greg Anderson, Stephen Gallo, Dan Creeder, Ben Reitzes, Dan Belton, and Ben Jeffrey from our FIC Macro Strategy team to bring you our outlook for 2021 for U.S. rates, IG spreads, the U.S. dollar, and Canada. We also discuss the market implications of the recent LIBOR news. Each month, members from BMO's FIC Macro Strategy team join me for a roundtable focusing on relevant and timely topics that impact our markets. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at margaret.carens at bmo.com with questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear more about on future episodes. We value your input and appreciate your ideas and suggestions. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. In the backdrop of extreme fiscal and monetary accommodation, not just in the U.S., but globally, we expect extreme low rates, record tights in credit spreads, and a continued weakening in the U.S. dollar. We expect a range-bound market, but that's not to say there won't be some bumps along the way. Let's start with Ian and Ben. What's your outlook for U.S. rates in 2021? Well, I'd like to be able to say that it's going to be a fascinating year in 2021 for U.S. rates, but the fact of the matter is that most likely will not be the case. The Fed has made it very clear that they are going to continue with QE. We might see that transition somewhat with an extension of the weighted average maturity of QE purchases, but it's safe to say that using the experience of 2009 to 2014, that the existing monetary policy accommodation that is in place will continue and the programs will be extended. Whether or not that ultimately translates through to a larger amount of monthly purchases in terms of QE remains to be seen. But one aspect that most market participants can agree on is that bond buying is here to stay, at least for 2021. So with that, that context, we're actually expecting the most interesting aspects of the treasury market to play out further out the curve. So we're focused on 10s and 30s in particular. Now, we've been on about the potential for 10-year yields to trade above 1% by year-end. And as December gets underway and 10s are back at 92 basis points, the probability has obviously increased. That said, any move above 1% will provide a significant buying opportunity, and we suspect that any bearish steepening momentum will ultimately run out of steam somewhere between 1 and 110. And as we translate that through to the end of 2021, our primary theme is going to be that of a range trade. So we'll see the upper end of the range defined, but there's also a reasonable probability that we revisit that 50 to 60 basis point range in tens. Using the last post-financial crisis as a guide, holding a range will be the path of least resistance. So 125 by the end of 2021 at this point is our base case. And this reinforces something we've seen throughout most of 2020, at least after the pandemic, which is with the Fed so committed to keeping monetary policy as easy as possible for what is safe to say will be a very long time, the shape of the curve is going to continue to be a function of the performance of duration. So this range in 10 and 30-year yields will flow through to what we expect will be a generally thematic steepening trend, 
which will be punctuated by periods of bull flattening as the uncertainty relating to the pandemic and the economic recovery continue to linger well into the year ahead. I'm glad we started with our outlook for rates for 2021 because I think that the path of rates is going to actually be a very important driver of credit spreads in 2021. Ian, you started off comparing the years ahead to the post-financial crisis period, and I think that's a very apt comparison. And if we look at those years in the credit spread market, it can be pretty well typified by a strong yield grab environment with the Fed keeping money supply extremely high, financial conditions very accommodative, and a strong buy-the-dip mentality in credit spreads throughout the majority of that time period. Certainly, there are exceptions, but that's the general rule. And so when we look at credit spreads in that type of environment, almost as important as the absolute level of credit spreads becomes the yield ratio or the amount of pickup you get in credit products compared to treasuries. And I think that's going to become a very important driver in 2021. If we expect treasury rates to remain quite low historically, Ian, I think, talked about the 1% to 1.1% range is looking attractive for many treasury buyers, then that's going to keep treasury yields extremely low compared to historicals. And that, by definition, will influence corporate spreads lower. So I think in 2021, all-time lows on credit spreads are going to come into focus. And another reason to think about that is just the huge amount of treasury supply that's going to be coming in 2021 and actually global sovereign supply throughout the world as they fund the pandemic response, that liquidity premium, which is a fundamental component of credit spreads from a textbook perspective, that starts to erode just given the huge amount of treasury supply, which should also propel credit spreads narrower. So looking just at a AA corporate index, the all-time lows we got on spreads you know, in the modern era are in 2018, we got to about 85 basis points. I think we could very well be there in the first half of 2021 if the market environment we're expecting to play out does indeed take shape. And whether it comes in the first half of 2021 or later toward the second half of 2021 may well depend on the evolution of corporate supply, which was extremely heavy in 2020. Although our expectations are for that supply to drop in 2021, the question will be how much. Yeah, Dan, as you mentioned, issuance was certainly one of the dominant themes in the corporate market in 2020, and it remains highly uncertain going into next year. But in short, we anticipate that next year is going to be characterized by two distinct regimes with respect to issuance. So in the first half of next year, we expect that corporations are going to continue to build cash reserves in a defensive manner, much like they did for most of 2020, because economic growth is expected to considerably slow in the first quarter of next year. Typically, recessionary periods equate to the heaviest issuance in the business cycle, and that's, of course, been borne out by the supply we've seen this year. But moving into the second half of next year, we expect issuance trends are going to more closely resemble that of an early expansionary period in which corporations manage their liabilities and reduce leverage. And this is the period of the business cycle that typically equates to the lightest issuance. So in total, we expect high-grade corporate supply to be front-loaded next year with gross issuance of $1.2 trillion and net supply of $350 billion. So Ian brought up the likelihood of range trading in treasuries next year. That's not just a U.S. story. It's a global story where rates are likely to remain low and with very low volatility. FX, we had our uh, low volatility year in 2019, where the dollar index just traded top to bottom in a 5% range all year. 2020 was completely different, and the range is about 15% wide thus far. In terms of what type of regime to look for in 2021, I think it's more of the same of this year. Financial volatility needs to find an avenue and to express itself. And if it's not through rates, then uh, very often it will express itself through FX. 
So while we're going to give you a, a relatively boring kind of base case outlook for the dollar and for the major exchange rates, we point out that that doesn't mean that we don't think that there could be some wild swings because we think that there's a reasonable likelihood that we see this year's high volatility regime extend. The move of the last six months is U.S. dollar down. And as we look for reasons for that, you know, the primary one that I would underscore is number one, liquidity, but number two, the global economy, the market is pricing it coming back, but not ferocious enough for the Fed to raise rates, you know, anywhere on the horizon. That's the type of scenario in which the dollar declines. And, you know, and in fact, we've seen that with a 10% move in just a matter of four months or so. Can we extend for the next four months at that same pace of decline? Possible, but we would project more likely that you'll see the dollar decline about a percent a quarter over the next four quarters. And, and admittedly, you know, you, you could have a quarter of zero and a quarter of two or three, depending on how the global economy is able to recover from lockdowns as presumably the vaccine is rolled out, not just to the US, but across the world with probably some countries recovering both economically and, and in terms of the physical health considerably sooner. So I think if we look at some of the positives and the negatives in the context of the weaker dollar environment, Greg mentioned, it kind of tees us up to consider levels in the key currency pairs next year. I think on the positive side, we've been talking about the recovery in global trade. That's evident in some of the data. The manufacturing sector has bounced back strongly. And of course, we have global trade tensions likely to subside even further in the first half of next year. That's positive for European currencies versus the dollar. It's positive for Asian currencies versus the dollar. Where the negatives, I think, are important, probably not so much a story for 2021, but something worth keeping in the back of the mind, which is that instances of financial repression and very loose monetary policies, they're very high across the global economy. Debt burdens have grown even further as a result of COVID-19. So there's going to be very limited upside in global interest rates. That being said, the Asian region as a whole, I think, is going to be the recipient of a decent amount of capital flow in the first half of 2021. They have generally small or benign current account deficits. They don't have a huge need for external financing anyway. They have ample reserves. And of course, many of these economies are exposed to global trade. So we're looking for a level like 110 in the ADXY at a minimum over the next three to six months. Our call in dollar China is 637, down from the level of 650. 55 currently. Turning briefly to Europe, we have a call of 124 in euro dollar over the six month horizon. Generally expect transatlantic relations between the United States and Europe to improve over the course of 2021. That said, I think the risk factors for the eurozone next year are that the bloc is going to be going through a significant amount of potentially bank recapitalizations, dealing with rising NPLs. And I think the important question for 2021 in Europe is going to be how dealing with those bank recapitalizations, debt levels and NPLs feeds into the beginning of the political cycle, particularly in Northern Europe. So on politics, Europe has been relatively quiet in 2020 because we had the focus squarely on the United States. But we have the election cycles kicking off in Holland in the spring and then in Germany in the autumn and then France in the spring of 2022. 
those political cycles are going to be important for how the bloc deals with things like bank recapitalizations and debt burdens. For the ECB, I think if we could sum it up simply, I think we would just say that the central bank is probably going to continue to try and match the Fed, if not in terms of the pace of asset purchases, then definitely on some of the language. So, for example, regarding its tolerance of higher inflation. So in that regard, the ECB is going to control the pace of euro appreciation to a degree, while, of course, walking a tightrope because of the north-south economic and political divide within the bloc. A lot of the talk so far has been about the monetary policy side of things and how policy is going to remain very easy. Stephen just touched on the political side of things, and I think that the fiscal aspect is very important and maybe being overlooked here. While there's still some uncertainty on the U.S. front with respect to the fiscal outlook, given the, the pending Senate elections in, in Georgia and uh, what Congress is going to look like and, and how much they can get through. That's not the case everywhere. In Canada, we've had a fiscal update that shows that the deficit uh, actually was revised wider to $380 billion for the current fiscal year. And next year, it looks like it's going to come in around $170 billion or so, depending on how much stimulus they put in place. The federal government in Canada has put forth a sizable spending plan that includes between 70 and $100 billion in fiscal stimulus over the next three years, over and above what their deficit forecast was. And so the fiscal side of things is going to remain very active in addition to policy rates being very low. And so I guess it depends at the end of the day still on the vaccine and the timing around that. But if people can somehow get back to normal through the course of 2021, there's a potential for decent strength there. And while I agree that rates will probably remain range bound for at least the next little while, there is some upside potential there in the back half of the year. And that very much supports the steepening trend that we expect in the U.S. and the same in Canada as well. So to summarize our outlook for 2021, rates will remain range bound with the bottom defined by the 2020 lows in the 50 to 60 basis point area and the top slightly above 1%, around 110 and possibly even 125, where we expect better buying to emerge in the backdrop of global low rates. In spreads, the 2018 tights of 85 basis points will be breached with a run to 70 basis points as spreads as a percentage of treasury rates prompt continued demand in a reach for yield environment. In FX, the main theme will be U.S. dollar down as the global economy rebounds while Fed accommodation remains in place. And in Canada, stronger fiscal support and stimulative monetary policy will reinforce the recovery when a vaccine is eventually delivered. This concludes our 2021 outlook, but before we end, I'd like to open up the discussion to the recent market moving headlines on LIBOR reform. So I'll turn it over to Dan Creter and Dan Belton. Thanks, Margaret. Yeah, just to start from a very high level, the news obviously is an extension of LIBOR from the originally presumed cessation date of December 31st, 2021, now through June 2023. And we've long thought that the December 31st, 2021 target was unrealistic for LIBOR cessation given just the extreme challenge of inadequate fallbacks in the U.S. cash market products specifically centered on loans. 
just opening the door to litigation and even potentially an economic impact of LIBOR cessation if those fallbacks were activated. Now, we thought regulators would deal with this inadequate fallback problem by introducing a synthetic LIBOR or a LIBOR that's produced formulaically. But the key and the big surprise to the market in the announcement yesterday was that this won't be synthetic LIBOR. It will be LIBOR as produced by the LIBOR setting panel until June 2023. And Dan, what are some of the major implications of the panel continuing to determine LIBOR until June 2023? So in short, the major implication of yesterday's announcement is there's a lot more uncertainty going forward around what the LIBOR fallbacks are going to be and frankly, what the future of LIBOR is. So before yesterday's announcement, we were expecting the three-month fallback spread to fall in the neighborhood of 26 basis points and maybe at the lowest falling to 24 or 23 and a half basis points. The range of potential fallback levels for the three-month tenor have increased dramatically in the last day. Now in the most extreme scenario, if we get a cessation announcement as late as, say, the second half of 2022, that spread could fall from currently 26 basis points to somewhere in the realm of about 17 basis points. And now it's going to depend crucially on a couple things. First, that fallback spread is going to depend on when the cessation announcement is ultimately made. And secondly, it's going to depend on the unknown LIBOR SOFR spread between now and that cessation announcement. I think from a high level for the market, there are a few main takeaways. The first being that alongside the news that LIBOR is being extended, we also got indications that regulators in the United States are going to take a much more proactive stance on new loan production and new cash market production and the rate that it will reference. Currently, LIBOR is still the benchmark rate for many cash market products, and they want to accelerate that transition over to SOFR. So by the end of 2021, there is no new loan production or no new cash contract production referencing LIBOR will be 100% SOFR. Secondly, the rate that legacy cash market products reference until at least June 2023 will remain LIBOR as produced by the panel. So the same as it always been. And the expectation is that the vast majority of cash market products will mature before the new LIBOR cessation date of 2023. As Dan talked about in the derivatives market, things aren't as clear. Fallback spreads are now much more uncertain and will depend heavily on when cessation ultimately happens and the path of LIBOR so far in the months ahead. Quickly, in derivatives markets, we've seen bases narrow and swap spreads fall in reaction to the news. That move is appropriate just given the elevated uncertainty and the impact that the extension is likely to have on the fallbacks that Dan talked about. But even more important at this point than the new projected fallbacks might just be positioning. This announcement came as a big surprise to the market, and a lot of people were caught off sides. Positioning is way skewed, and still some of those positions have yet to be sold off. So I think that what that tells you is the move narrow will ultimately be proven overdone, but I don't think we're there yet. We're looking for presumed fallback spreads to drop beneath 21 basis points, and so for threes is just the most widely used example before looking to get long and trying to put any cessation-related trades back on. Thanks, Dan and Danny. That's a wrap. Thank you to all of our BMO experts, and thank you for listening. This concludes Macro Horizons 2021 Outlook, Lower, Narrower, Safer. Please reach out to us with feedback and any ideas on topics you would like us to tackle. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. We'd like to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email at margaret.karens at bmo.com. 
You can listen to the show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. And we'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and a review. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.